This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. There were so many words in there <laughs> that made absolutely no sense to me, but I, I do sense your frustration. <laughs> Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello and welcome back to the City Report. I am Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. Hello Adam, how are you? I am good. I'm feeling better than the Norwich fans behind Ederson's goal doing the your shit ah chant at 4-0 down at the weekend. So I'm better than them, that's for sure. So with two episodes in and already in Adam's intro disc, we've gone for Fabio Carvalho last weekend who who was happy at, at four minutes in after scoring and now it's the Norwich fans. So a growing list of people on your on your shovel list. Yeah, the list is never ending it's like santa's nice and naughty list honestly <laughs> it's just name after name after name after name yeah it was lovely to have the football back i don't know about you but the not even just the last week but the last couple of weeks being a football supporter and, and i know some people like to take the sort of tribal route here but just being somebody who spends a lot of their time interested in football it's been quite difficult given some of the stories and we obviously won't name names for for obvious reasons but it's just been it seems like every week there's another new story that comes out that just makes it incredibly depressing to be surrounded by football so to actually have 90 minutes of of fantastic skill acumen desire goals fun laughter to to sort of mull over in the next hour or so it's fantastic and something that that was nice it was like a warm hug to have city back in their usual 4-0 winning ways 
It is. Yeah. Everything is great in between the whistles. It's just the time off is just, it's like you said, it's rough being a football fan right now. Um, some, some stories hitting closer to home than others, but, um, yeah, it's, it's certainly a rough time, but it was, it was good to see them back on the field and playing at their brilliant best as they have been for a few months now. Okay, let's kick things off then at Carrow Road, obviously. Uh, Saturday evening in, in the in the evening kickoff, City 4-0 winners, impressive winners away to Norwich City. And it, it felt a little bit like it could have been uh, a banana skin heading into the fixture. Obviously, I think Norwich were four games unbeaten prior to that. And the last time City went there at half five on a Saturday, Todd Cantwell happened. Now, there was no Nicholas Otamendi for City either. He'd been replaced by a lovely, big, handsome Ruben Diaz in that time. And, and City looked really good. It was a second win in a row without conceding a goal. So that, that, that's two wins since the international break in the Premier League. Three wins, including the Fulham game as well. And well, City don't look like they're slowing down, really, do they, Adam? They don't. And I mean, there was definitely a bit of lasting trauma um, heading to Carroll Road. But... <laughs> You know, I think if this game had happened a month or two ago before Dean Smith came in, it wouldn't have even crossed my mind a possibility of City dropping points. Um, But Dean Smith has made Norwich into a much more solid team and a team that looks like they could have a chance at survival. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's, it's just kind of typical City at the moment. The new version of typical City, which is they get on a roll at some point in the winter months and they just don't look back. Yeah, I'll, I'll just reel off some stats straight away of, of City sort of Premier League run as things stand. And, and this is from the last 15 games since the Crystal Palace defeat back in, I think it was October, late October. Um, 45 points have been available. City have taken 43 of those, scored 41 goals during that time and conceded just eight. Now, a lot of the mantra online from the social media warriors is that City are an incredibly boring team to watch. A good team, but an incredibly boring team to watch. Now, some of those stats don't really suggest City are are boring to watch at all, do they? So I don't know where that comes from. Well, it's funny. I actually put out a, a tweet thread about this over the weekend when I was watching Liverpool play Leicester. Um, and I get, on a certain level, I get the City are boring shouts. And it's because City are so good that there's almost a lack of um, a lack of peril in their games. Hmm. Whereas if you think back to the 2019-20 City, they could easily score seven and concede six on the same day. <laughs> yeah. Um, Whereas you just don't see that happening anymore. I mean, we saw that we saw that chart come out in the Athletic over the weekend about what regions of the pitch Premier League teams control, and City's entire map was just completely <laughs> blotted out with control, except for like their own uh, defensive corner flag. Um, but you know, it's it's not it's not a heavy metal style of football that is fun to watch because there is so much peril. And when you watch Liverpool, it looks like they could concede at any second. There's mm. a lot of one on ones at the back. You know that that doesn't seem to happen for City anymore because they're in such control. But then within that control, there is just unbelievable beauty in the mechanics of the team and just this this system of play under Guardiola, where everybody knows their role so perfectly. And it just seems like nobody really makes mistakes. And I think that's where the beauty is. Yeah, it's an interesting debate. I definitely see the the points that people make about City and there is less jeopardy involved, but that's come with time, that's come with coaching. City under Guardiola in, in 26-17 were, were a car crash at times, an absolute car crash. But 
in that 15-game run that I've just mentioned there, there's been derby wins. It actually started with a, a demolition at Old Trafford against United in a 2-0 scoreline that probably could have been 5-6-7 on a different day. There's been last-minute wins, obviously that that New Year's Day triumph away to to Arsenal in there as well. That was exciting. There's been 7-0 wins, there's been 6-3 wins. So to just sort of pass off City's achievements as as just mandatory say 1-0 2-0 victories I, f- I find a little bit a little bit daft and even in the Norwich game itself there were periods where Norwich looked like they could get a goal and definitely between sort of 10 minutes before uh, 10 minutes into the game and then when City finally scored I was thinking at at some points, Norwich could possibly sneak a goal here and it's a completely different game. They've got attacking players who could have threatened City and on another day, they probably would have sneaked a goal. Yeah, absolutely. They they looked the brighter side in the opening 10 to 15 minutes. Um, and I think just on the, on the City is boring chat, if you're an opposition fan, you're not meant to be enjoying watching City <laughs> just smash everybody. Sorry, it's, it's not, yeah. this isn't for you, you know? Uh, I thought it was particularly boring watching United win five out of every six Premier League titles for two decades mm. in a row. Um, but that's the way it is when teams are very, very good and teams struggle to break them down. Um, it can be boring to watch, but it's not meant to be fun for you, uh, Anfield Edition or whoever you are out there on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, City don't owe you excitement. I think that's what we can take away from that. But in terms of the Norwich game itself, Pre-kickoff, there was a bit of hysteria and, and I'll hold my hands up. I was part of that as well, looking at the lineup and thinking this is potentially a team that could go to a hostile, I know it sounds an oxymoron, a hostile Carrow Road, but it, City have known it can be in, at times, and, and actually drop points. A number of changes in that team. Nathan Ake came in, a front three that was rotated, a, a midfield three that was rotated, in particular Fernandinho as well, who previously in the, in the game against Fulham had possibly looked like his legs were starting to go a little bit but he returned and and you know the the absolute professional he is 36 years old and still bossing it but there was one um inclusion in particular that really caught my eye and I, I stuck a tweet out earlier today actually about about the Ukrainian gem that is Alexander Zinchenko because he's a player who has consistently and and this has been happening for a number of seasons consistently gone under the radar for City and I don't necessarily mean as sort of someone who's played 30 so games in a season and should have been you know challenging for a team of the year place or anything like that I'm not I'm not suggesting that at all but for somebody who can come in whenever he's called upon he doesn't necessarily play the most minutes in the squad he doesn't necessarily play the most minutes from the bench but for somebody who can come in and and just offer such such reassurance on that on that left-hand side now we had a chat last week, didn't we, about Cancelo and left back and where the future lies for City. And I think yesterday, uh, sorry, I think the Norwich game was a perfect example of what a natural left-footed player in that position can offer. Especially when you look at someone like Josh Sargent, who was who was lining up against him, an inverted winger, if you like. He's right-footed. He's going to drift inside. And Zinchenko just had the absolute sort of freedom of Caro Road at times to to do what you want. And I thought he played superbly down that left-hand side. He did, yeah. And, you know, having that left footer out at left back definitely changes the look of the team a bit. You know, when we were speaking about Cancelo at left back last week, I was mentioning how with him being right footed, he can drift inside and kind of pick up that David Silva area and pick passes from the edge of the box and that little left inside channel. Um, Whereas Zinchenko being left footed, 
he's going to hug the touchline a little bit more. It's it's going to give freedom to Jack Grealish or Phil Foden, who, whoever is out there on the left, to drive in at his man and play in that inside channel himself. Um, so it just opens up more possibilities. But it's a great problem to have that it doesn't matter whether you play a right footer or a left footer out there on the flank. Uh, it seems to be working for Pep Guardiola. But I just want to mention one thing on the on the lineup hysteria. I I don't know if I'm a grumpy old man, even though I'm only 25, but I just never <laughs> seem to agree with lineup hysteria. I mean, if you look at the lineup at the weekend, sure, Fernandinho's legs seem to be slowing down, but then you look at literally every single other position on the field and City have the advantage in that position. So mm. I just, I don't quite see what what would lead to any sort of hysteria. Um, you know, we we have, City have built this squad for games like this where they can take out a player who's in fantastic form, stick somebody in who's only made two or three starts this season, and there isn't much of a drop-off. Yeah, definitely. You reference the squad there and, and its depth and even though he's been here for what seems like forever, Fernandinho is definitely part of that, as is Zinchenko. And that actually brings us nicely to question one of the podcasts coming from Ash, who asks, do you think that players who, who City loan out have any chance of making it at the club? So far, only Zinchenko and Zek Stefan have been successes following loans, but they do have some very promising players out on loans at various different clubs. So, Adam, I'll throw that one to you now. City have, we discussed this again a little bit last week, where does it feel like those players who go out on loan are just sort of going to fill the numbers at other clubs in the in the City football group with the exceptions of one or two and don't really have a chance of making it? Do you think the likes of Zinchenko and Zach Stefan are, are an accident, so to speak? You know, they've been out on loan, they've shown they can do it in top flights across Europe and have since come back and established themselves in the squad, or are the anomalies in, in the sort of the way City operate? Well, I think it's certainly tougher for them uh, than the players who seem to be kind of hand-selected to stay around the first team, like your McAtees, Phil Foden's, Cole Palmer's, where there will be a lot of interest in them for teams to take them on loan, but Pep and the club decide to keep them, you know, close by and have them train with the first team because... Pep's system at City is um, unique and he likes to kind of breed his players in and around that system so that when they step on the field, there's no learning curve. Um, as far as Ash's question about Zinchenko and Stefan being, you know, a few of the successes from players that have been loaned out, you also have to look out where they were before they came to City. You know, Zinchenko had played some senior football. Zach Stefan was a bona fide senior player. He had been a starter in the MLS. He'd been a starter... Um, in the Bundesliga on his loan. So these are are bigger loans than, you know, just being loaned out to a CFG club where it feels like you're just kind of sitting around waiting to be sold for City to make a quick three or four million pounds. Um, but I think we're getting to a point now with Pep being at the at the club for six or seven years and there is a culture of players coming through the academy that are ready to to kind of hit the hit the cusp of the first team. And there is a point where they're going to get too good for the academy, but not necessarily have a spot in that kind of young players getting first team minutes pack at City like your McAtees and Palmers. Um, I would consider Tommy Doyle and Taylor Harwood-Bellis to be two players in that mold where they're at uh, they're at clubs where they're going to get a lot of really good experience. Um, and they're too good to be playing in City's academy at this point, but they're not necessarily in that 
that immediate uh, group of players that can can play 10 to 15 minutes in the Premier League? They definitely feel like low knees of a different era, uh, sort of an era before Phil Foden, Cole Palmer, James McAtee, where the the policy was to keep players around, highlight them early on from from really early ages and then keep them around in the squad and they can develop within the first team. And it does feel like, sort of like uh, like I said, Loney's from a different era. Just looking at Zinchenko, he featured 12 times for PSV in the Eredivisie. That, that's you know, a decent number of games, but it isn't exactly like he, he went there and excelled. Um, he, and interestingly enough, he predominantly played as a central midfielder. And, and as you mentioned there, Zach Stefan impressed at Dusseldorf, but was relegated in the campaign he was there. Personally, I, I don't think City actually intended or saw a future for the likes of Zinchenko. I think maybe Stefan could be a little bit different, but definitely Zinchenko in the squad. And and even when he established himself in the 2017-18 campaign, there were still talks at the end of that season that City were looking to move him away. I know um, Wolves were definitely interested. They pursued him for some time. I think we're sort of... I think we have to give Zinchenko the credit here because he he rejected moves away to other Premier League clubs and other teams in Europe. He could have been competing regularly. He could have been one of those players with 35 appearances to his name at the end of the season, but he's decided he wants to stay. Just recently, there were, there were reports again that he wanted to to stick around at City and fight for his place and, and look to be one of those players who he's going to be earning a new contract. His story is astonishing. I would urge absolutely anybody who is listening to this to go and, if you don't already know, just go and have a look at his backstory and growing up in Ukraine and some of the sacrifices he had to make. And I think it's hard to say that that for any football fan, for any City fan looking at it, it, it's impossible not to sort of love the guy, isn't it? He's he's an absolute gem. He plays with a smile on his face, which I know sounds a bit of a cliche, but for professional football, is it, it isn't necessarily something that they all do at the moment. So I'm really happy the way he's developed. I'm really happy the way he's fallen into a really useful role and and. Credit to Guardiola as well, because like I said, he was he came in as a central attacking midfielder. That's where his future was sort of seen in a City shirt or, or elsewhere. But he's established himself as probably, I don't know if, if you want to jump in with any shouts, bar maybe Liverpool, he's probably the best backup left back in the entire league. Yeah, I, th- I could get on board with that. And I think, like you said, you have to give him a lot of credit for what he's done off the field to fight for his spot at the club. But on the field as well, you know, he comes in, uh, you know, he's only made six starts this season in the Premier League, but he comes in in, in pressure packed situations as well. You think of mm-hmm. the Champions League run last year where, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the fullback situation appeared to be Cancelo on the left and Walker on the right. And it was basically solid like that. Um, and then Cancelo had about 45 bad minutes in Paris. And then Zinchenko was stuck in it. I think it was at halftime. Um, and then he never looked back really for the rest of the season and played all the way through to the final. Um, so you have to give the guys so much credit for just kind of being thrown into the deep end so often at city and there's no drop off whenever he comes in, there's no getting back up to speed. He's always up to speed. Just looking at some of the players city have out on loan. And I actually think looking at one position on the football pitch where city could potentially look at 
bringing back one of the, one of these players into the fold and and really letting them settle and bed down into the first team could be right back. Um, City place Wharton in a couple of days' time as we're recording this, and and Pedro Porro has excelled at the Portuguese Champions. He's a man who City have out on loan now. There's a little bit of a, a controversy with that contract and the way it's, it's made up, but there is definitely options for him to come back in. Likes of Issa Kabore as well, who's out with Trois, and he excelled in the Africa Cup of Nations as well. So there's there's plenty of players there who could make it. The one problem I would have looking elsewhere. And I'm thinking of somebody like maybe Gavin Bazanu at, at Portsmouth is to sort of now break into City's first team when it's so structured around either recruitment from from outside to come into the team straight away, or like we mentioned, James McAtee, Phil Foden, Cole Palmer being bedded in from an early age. It's really difficult for those to to really come back into it. I know you mentioned there Tommy Doyle, who's gone out now to Cardiff after a, a difficult spell with Hamburg. He's another one potentially who could in the next sort of year or so, look to come back in. But I reckon it's going to be 12 months or nothing for Tommy Doyle because if you're not in, if you're not on the train straight away, it's difficult to really to catch that wave, isn't it? It is, but the good news for players like Tommy Doyle and Taylor Harwood-Bellis is they came up through the City Academy and therefore they have been involved in the City culture, so to speak. Um, whereas a lot of these players that City have out on loan are players that basically their feet never touch the ground in England. You know, they get bought from country A and they get loaned out to country B and they never come through Mm -hmm. the Etihad campus. Whereas players like Tommy Doyle, they've come up through the youth ranks and the youth ranks all the way down to the, to the toddlers are playing the same style of football as the first team. And therefore players like Tommy Doyle and Taylor Harwood-Bellis and and anybody else in that mold that may go out on loan after a long spell in the academy, they they do have a chance to come back in because they still understand what it's like to play in that city team because they have some experience doing it, whether it's in, in sparse minutes at the first team or from you know the U16s and all the way up to the under-23s. Okay, then moving away from loans and players who are currently at the club, Joel asks us, are you content with Liam Delap and Julian Alvarez being the striker options for next season? And if so, should we look to bring in a winger instead, especially with the future of a couple of them up in the air as it is? I would be content with Delap and, and Alvarez being the striking options next season. I mean, nobody seems to really have any clue yet after two years how to deal with City's kind of fluid false nine system. Um and Alvarez and Delap would be around as options when you need more of a classic striker look. Delap more than Alvarez as as far as that classic striker mold. Um, and I I don't really think there's any need to buy another winger. You know, we've just brought Jack Grealish in, and even if somebody on that right wing goes, like Sterling doesn't end up extending his deal. Mares is up at the end of next season. If Gabriel Jesus is sold in the summer summer. You're still going to have two or three options there. Cole Palmer is coming through. Alvarez is somebody that can play out wide as well. Um, So I don't think... I I would be content with it, and I I would imagine that Pep probably would be too because we've still had so much success without a recognized center forward. A lot of this for me depends on when Alvarez will arrive at the, the club because... 
Personally, I am. It's a difficult one because obviously I understand the the prestige of the Libertadores in South America and what it can do for a player to win that with the club that they've sort of came through and developed with and the connection they have with the competition. I'm not for a second sort of denouncing that or saying that he should he should ditch it straight away. But from a selfish point of view, from City's point of view, looking at it as as sort of how can City now get him into the team as quickly as as, as we can? Because we spoke a little bit last week again about how long it takes attackers in City's front three to, to develop, um, to bed in, to become comfortable with the the movement, the spaces that City operate in. And, you know, I don't think it's sort of going against the grain to predict Julian Alvarez may have a difficult first few months in England, a, a continent he's never played in, a country he's never played in before either. So it could be a, a case of where we get to Christmas in his first season, should he arrive in the summer and he's not scored yet, or he's maybe scored one or two goals in cup competitions. Now, if River Plate were to go all the way in the Libertadores and he wasn't to come in till January, that sort of progression gets pushed back another couple of months, doesn't it? So we'd then be looking at maybe come the springtime, him him being comfortable enough to be given a starting berth in, in say, a, a game against a title challenger or a Champions League knockout. He's had plenty of experience already. I'm not sort of suggesting he's coming in as a nobody. He's, he's 21 years old. He'll be 22 by the time he arrives at City. But... Is that enough experience when we look at how City will look to challenge the next few years? The likes of João Cancelo already uh, extending their deals. Bernardo Silva looking like he's going to be extending his deals as well. They're statements of intent. City can't afford to sort of be in limbo a little bit for the next couple of years, especially when there's plenty of titles still to be won. Yeah, I I, I see what you're saying, but I don't necessarily, necessarily feel like they would be in limbo because they can... They could absolutely take the time to bed him in, play him in games, like you said, that maybe aren't a Champions League knockout or um, you know a title six-pointer. He will take time to bed in, but you always have the option uh, in the back pocket of playing the false nine, something that has worked. And I'm going to keep saying the phrase false nine over and over and over and over, but nobody has seemed to figure out how to stop it yet. Mm. Um, Jack Grealish is going to come into his second season, and you'd hope that that is going to bring with it an increase in his numbers. Um, I think the performances are fine, but more goals and more assists will eventually come from Jack Grealish. We've seen Raheem Sterling come back into somewhat close to the form we used to see him in. And, you know, he, he had a hat trick at the weekend. And if you've got Raheem Sterling scoring 10, 15, 17 goals again in a league season, then you're going to be fine on the goal scoring front. So I, I don't necessarily think City would be in limbo in that situation. And, and as far as Liam Delap goes, the more I see of him, you know, we saw ten, another 10 to 15 minutes of him at Carroll Road at the weekend. The more I see of him, the more I, I think that he could be an option in the near future. I just want to bring up the Grealish thing a second and, and speak about Jack Grealish because I sent a couple of tweets out in the week, actually. Um, not that Mr. Grealish himself would have been scrolling through my Twitter, thanking me for his support. Um, but I just felt like it was it was necessary to necessary to combat the discourse surrounding him. Now, there was obviously the controversy around him, him going out on his day off and having a couple of drinks, which how dare a, a young man spend time with his friends. But even after that, in the week, again, we're seeing more sort of articles come out, more comments about how £100 million is a waste of money. He's a, he's a flop. He's an absolute flop. Get him out of the team, sell him already. And well, just a point of order straight away. You know, obviously, football isn't 
uh, isn't FIFA career mode. Hundred million pound transfers are actually sort of not paid up in full. It's not like uh, uh, City are there asking for Aston Villa's PayPal to send them across a hundred million pounds straight away. So it is, you know, paid across the length of the the five year contract. But I don't know about your opinion on, on this, Adam. But I'm content with Jack Grealish's first season so far. If I look back to the summer. Did I expect him to maybe have one, two, three more goals than he already does or, or goal slash assist com- uh, contributions? Potentially. But in terms of what he's offering off the ball, what he's offering on the ball as well, it, it's it's doing enough for me at the moment. And his expected goals and expected assists aren't down on his last season with Villa, which was one of his most productive seasons as a footballer. I'm more than happy with where Jack Grealish is right now. I want to compare him to Riyad Mahrez, who... In his first season, I think you could say that Riyad Mahrez was not doing the right things. He was not making the correct runs. He was holding on to the ball too long. You know, I think there was a time when there was some rumors going around that he was confronted in the dressing room about um, the passes he was making or the lack thereof. Um, Whereas Jack Grealish, he's doing the right things and it's just not always coming off. The, the, the final split second at the end of whatever he's doing isn't always there. But like you said, the movement off the ball, his decision-making, it's all there. And therefore, the dam is eventually going to break. You know, these these aren't bad performances. They are bad numbers as a result of uh, almost, I would say, he's unlucky to a point. Mm, yeah, definitely. <clears throat> because he he is doing the right things. He's making the correct runs. He's making the correct passes. He's making the correct movement off of the ball. Um, But just the final split second is just not quite there. And that's what's going to come in, you know, more time in the team, more time with working with Pep on the training ground. And when that eventually comes, the floodgates are going to open. I'll be honest, when the links to Grealish first came about in the summer, I wasn't convinced. Um, I, I thought he was a great talent, but I, I, I thought he was potentially a profile of player that suited some of City's rivals and, and wouldn't necessarily excel in the City team. But having given the opportunity to watch him week on, week out for 90 minutes, he's somebody who you see more from when you don't just watch him on a sort of two, three minute highlight package and you definitely see what he can offer. And, and don't get me wrong, he, he can be doing more. Uh, let, let's be honest, he can be doing more, but but as of now, I think he's doing just fine. He's somebody who will be in the squad next season, as will Cancelo, as will James McAtee, who we've mentioned. They've already extended contracts, and it looks as if the uh, the contract Easter Bunny will be back again soon. Rodri essentially is verbally committed to an extension. He obviously arrived in 2019. And sound the klaxon, because after one of the most arduous transfer sagas of the summer. Bernardo Silva may be staying in Manchester a little bit longer as well. Now, I don't know if you saw the other week, Adam, he was walking his dog in the centre of Manchester. He's just the most wholesome of footballers, isn't he? He is. And for a guy that wanted to leave the club, and that's not, you know, all the reports suggest that it's not, has nothing to do with the club, just, you know, personal life. Players want to live Mm. somewhere different. It's that's the they're humans that's part of life um he does seem to be a guy that just fits into the city so well fits into the club so well and it's such a down-to-earth guy an adopted mancunian already 
But those contract extensions have sort of had people looking towards the man at the helm himself, Pep Guardiola, whose deal is set to expire in the summer of 2024. Now, Guardiola's been a man who has traditionally stayed at a club for four, five years, if that, in some places. And he's not really been someone who has built a dynasty. He's been an in-and-out sort of manager. But it looks as if potentially he could be extending his deal. Now, it's speculation as of now. Uh, Guardiola has been asked about it before. He, he's referenced that his contract's up until 2024. And he doesn't know what will happen after that, although I find that a little bit hard to believe. But let's say he was to leave at the end of next season. City would have to find a manager capable of coming in and replicating the success that Guardiola's had. We spoke before about the squad that's been built and and realistically that should be challenging for titles for a number of years to come. And that's something the board will will, uh, demand from the next man who comes in. And we've had a question from Daniel relating to the man who will come in after Guardiola. And he said, who do you view as the best suited manager to follow Pep when he eventually leaves? What are our realistic options? Now let's start off with the immediate future and say if Guardiola's contract is to finish on July the 1st 2024 or whenever it is who would you Adam be looking at the man you would like to come in as Manchester City manager following Pep himself well I think there's some sexy shouts and there's some less sexy shouts I think if you're looking at a top class manager who you would hope there would not be too many growing pains because let's let's be honest here. Like we need to we need to settle something straight off the bat here. This era is all down to Pep Guardiola's brilliance. Mm-hmm. This is not because City spent the most money. This isn't City have great players, but there are managers that City have had in the past that wouldn't have got the same success out of this squad. And that that's not a knock on the squad. It's not a knock on those managers either. But I like to look back at if Pellegrini had a decade. What do you think? Three or four, maybe Premier Leagues in that decade? Possibly, if, yeah, possibly. If Pep stays a decade, we could be looking at six, seven Premier Leagues mm. with uh, plenty of those being League Cup doubles, a Champions League final berth, um, a possible Champions League win in that decade. Who knows what's still yet to come? So people need to wrap their heads around the fact that there will be a drop off when the bald man leaves this club. <laughs> there just will be. Um, but as far as who's going to come in after him or who could come in after him, I think I've got four options here. Two are sexy, two are not as sexy. I'm going to stick with the sexy first. Ten Hag at Ajax. If you're looking at a guy that's going to come in and play a very similar style of play with fluid possession, controlling the game, controlling all areas of the pitch, and really just taking control of matches to win games and giving the opponent nothing, I think that's a brilliant shout right there. I know there's been some links to United, so he could be at the at the other end of the city by the time uh, this season ends even. Um, and then I think the other place to look is Julian Nagelsmann at Bayern Munich. Um, it could be difficult to tempt him away from that club, but it's another guy that's going to come in and play a similar style of football, maybe a bit more counterattacking in there. But his RB Leipzig team was very good on the ball, very good in possession. I like Nagelsmann. 
Um, I like him as a shout in terms of City's manager. I'd actually suggest as well that he probably isn't going to be at Bayern that long. Um, if you look at the way Bayern Munich have operated, and obviously that was Pep's club before he came to City, they don't usually have managers for long stints by Jupp Heynckes, who who was a legendary boss there. But even still, they were happy to let him go when somebody else came along. And th- that's a really big club for Nagelsmann to go into, but it's one that he should he should see potentially as a stepping stone and I don't mean that as disrespect to Bayern Munich but when you look at the sort of the other options in Europe City being one the sort of trajectories are going at similar paths right now and you wouldn't be surprised if Pep Guardiola was to leave in in 2024 for City to do the same as they did in 2016 and appoint the Bayern Munich manager. Now, I think that would probably rile some some Munich fans, definitely. It'd make them absolutely thinking like, oh my God, what do we have to do to keep this club away from our manager? But it's an option and it's definitely a possibility for that sexy shout. And I think if those two aren't available, then there's always everybody's favourite manager to link to vacant jobs, Graham Potter, who I think has worked a ton of magic at Brighton. They're they're great on the on the ball, great to watch. Um, and for the squad that he has, the the heights that they've been able to reach in his time there, I think, have been extraordinary. And how he is yet to be tempted into one of the jobs job openings we've seen in in recent uh, weeks and months, like Everton or at Newcastle at the time, um, is beyond me. But you know, maybe another two or three years down the road, if he's still at Brighton, he's he's eventually going to be looking for that next big step up. And I think he's definitely a shout. I'd agree. Again, I think Graham Potter is someone I would be very surprised if City haven't already scouted. Now, I don't know what the sort of the differences between scouting a player and scouting a manager are, but I wouldn't be surprised if they've already contacted his people and said, look, what what are your plans for the next sort of five, ten years or whatever? Um, When you mentioned there that the job... when you mentioned there the job opportunities that he's turned down, I'd actually give him credit for that. I'd say it's potentially to his credit because he can see what is happening at Brighton and, and that's down to him himself as well. We mentioned the, the kudos Guardiola should receive for what he's done at City. That kudos should go to Graham Potter for the Brighton job as well. I, I don't know if you remember a couple of weeks ago when I think they maybe had a 1-1 draw at home to, to somebody. It may have even been Newcastle itself. I can't quite remember. But the fans were booing. Now, for, for Brighton to be booing Graham Potter is a remarkable step forward, and he took that he took that really badly in the sense that he, he you know he was disappointed with it, he was upset by it, and that's because of the standards he set himself. Is City his next step? I'm not sure, to be honest. I, I don't know. It depends what happens between now and say when Guardiola does eventually leave. I'd probably look at him being one club away from the City job. Now, I don't know where that club is. And, and you look at someone like Brendan Rodgers, who, is, who has been linked to the job in the past and has taken that next club in terms of Leicester City, but is now looking like his time to go to an elite club has gone. Maybe Graham Potter is looking at and going, I might have to take something a little bit sooner rather than later. I don't know. But it, I just wonder if you could look at somebody and applying them for Manchester City, who as of now doesn't have any European pedigree with an English club. I don't know if that's something that, that would go against him. Can he get Brighton there before now and potentially when Guardiola leaves? Potentially. But I'm not sure right now where his stock stands amongst, amongst the, the candidates. 
you're right. It, it probably doesn't make sense for him to take that big of a leap from Brighton all the way up to City, especially to be Pep Guardiola's successor. Um, but I think another shout and someone of that same mold and even more of a of a of a newbie in the Premier League is is probably Bruno Lodge, who I think has been fantastic at Wolves. Um, and I think you know we've seen so little of him so far, but with what he's doing with that squad, I think is has really been great, and I think it'd be worth watching how that progresses. Ex Benfica as well, City's connections with Benfica are, are sort of taking hold a little bit lately, aren't they? That'd be good news for the likes of Edison, Cancelo, Bernardo Silva, and Ruben Diaz, who would who would be sort of welcoming back a, another Benfica legend in there. Speaking of Portuguese clubs, obviously the Champions League returns this week. Cue the music. <laughs> Apologies to headphone listeners there, but obviously City taking on Sporting in the round of 16, which I don't know about you, Adam, but it's an interesting tie. Obviously, the first draw, uh, City pulled out Villarreal, Europa League holders. That had to be redone because of surprisingly a lack of competency at UEFA who would have thought but now City have been given Sporting instead what are your thoughts on the tie itself obviously the first leg is Tuesday the return leg is the 9th of March at the Etihad so we won't sort of do too much previewing of the the first game itself because by the time you listen to this it may have already taken place but in terms of the two legs all together obviously no away goals as well so I don't know what that does to the complexion of the tie but what are you thinking about this clash? Well, I think for a start, um, City are probably nailed on Champions League winners now that away goals has been eradicated. <laughs> but as far as this tie goes, I mean, you'd have to look at it and say City have should kind of breeze through it. I mean, that's that's no disrespect towards Sporting. Um, you know, they were a club that I think only lost one game in the Primera last year. Um, now they lost a lot of players after that title winning campaign. Um but it, you just got to look at it as a tie that City should be going through. It's going to be a hostile, hostile atmosphere in Lisbon. Um, but, you know, this is something that City have have shown they can deal with in recent years. Um, and they should be they should be getting through this. I mean, is there much more to say other than that? Definitely. Um, like you mentioned there, Sporting won the Premier League at a canter really last year. They've, they've not really matched the same heights, but with the likes of Benfica and Porto in that league, you don't really expect a team apart from those two to go on and, and build like a 2-3-4 season title win. I'm actually I'm actually going to highlight one player who I'm excited to watch. I've not been able to watch as much as I'd like to have of him this year and that's uh, Pedro Gonçalves who I tipped now going on oh, maybe three seasons ago potentially as a, a, a future City player he was at Wolves once upon a time and my scouting knowledge goes no further than he scored an absolute bagful for me on Football Manager so I don't know what that says about my my knowledge or, or anybody else's but Having seen little bits and bobs of him, he definitely looks like the sort of player who could, first of all, in terms of this tie, cause City problems. But then going down the line, I wouldn't be surprised to see if City did one of those sort of things that big European clubs do, where they play a team from sort of like a lesser bracket in Europe and then go into the summer and, and spend, I don't know, £50 million on him. He could be the missing piece, who knows. He's a very Pep Guardiola midfielder and, and he's definitely somebody who could cause City a little bit of problems. We'll wait and see. But other than that anything to add Adam nope that's it 
let's get out of here then but before we do if you could follow or subscribe on whichever podcast platform you listen on leave us a review if you can it helps bump us up those ratings have a fantastic week fellow blues we'll be back next week with episode three until then i've been amos murphy and i'm adam booker thank you very much for listening see you later see you Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. 